Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Joel Holland. And Joel is the founder of Video Blocks, is also the CEO, and is the first subscription-based provider of stock video and audio with over 100,000 customers in the TV and video production industry. From NBC to MTV to Pro Summers and Obvious, looking to embrace and enhance their video projects and productions. He's got a very interesting story from um, having this amazing interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger to, to turning down six-figure jobs to then building a company that, that ended up having well over $20 million in revenue. He has been lucky enough to, to grace Business Insider 2525 as well as Inc. 30 under 30. So I'm pretty excited to have him on the show to talk about his journey and what lessons he has learned along the way as an entrepreneur. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ty. Ty, appreciate it. Uh, the pleasure is mine, Joel. So the, the immediate question I normally ask my guests is, is how did it all get started? You know, when did you know that you were going to be an entrepreneur? Oh, that's a good question. So uh, I think, you know, for me it was it, – it, I didn't know the word entrepreneur when I started being an entrepreneur. The way I kind of backed into it was I just loved selling things as a kid. And so, as, you know, as young as uh, 12, I had my first um, little small business uh, selling golf balls, used golf balls on a, a little um, golf uh, course in Bryce Resort in Virginia and built a little wagon, turned it into a little turnkey um, station, and, and it was awesome. And I just kind of fell in love with this idea that if you have a product that people want, they'll give you money for it. They're happy and you're happy. And so as a kid, I became obsessed with selling stuff. And, you know, shortly after that, when I was about 13, I got on the internet and that kind of changed my world because all of a sudden I could sell anything to anybody in the world using eBay. And, um, I think by the time I was 14, I was a power seller on eBay, uh, selling a few thousand dollars a month worth of software, uh, and collectibles. And it just kind of furthered my obsession with this idea that, 
it doesn't matter who you are or how old you are uh, or where you're located. If you have something that people want, they'll um, happily give you money for it. And so I think that's how I became an entrepreneur and then eventually learned what an entrepreneur was, um, you know, building a business, uh, providing value in exchange for money. And, you know, that, that's, that's a long story short. And then video blocks um, was the biggest iteration of, you know, many small businesses that I started when I was younger. Um, by the time I was at the end of high school, I basically saw this world of content creators, not unlike you, right? You and me and others that are creating video or audio, um, and want to share it with the world. I felt there was this lack of, um, good stock media for budget conscious people. And I took a year off between high school and college and set out to build the company that, you know, as you described today, does about 30 million in revenue, a wow. uh, hundred employees and 160,000 customers. Wow. So, okay. So you, you, you become this power user on, um, um, eBay and then you start, you start to realize the internet. And I always like to call the internet the great equalizer. Um, I think it's one of the, yeah. the tools for 21st century leaders and entrepreneurs that, that can really sort of even that playing field. So you, you started realizing the power of the internet and then you're so right about the stock images. I have a funny story with stock images. I am actually a stock image. And <laughs> like, like you, you are like you're in a stock image. Yeah, I am. One, one, yeah. one of my friends took as a stock photographer. She took a picture of me when I was um 22, and or and I said, hey, she said, hey, I kind of need diversity. And I knew what she meant. She needed a black person. <laughs> so I was like, oh, at first of all, she said, I need a little different pictures. And I was like, hey, so you need a black person? All right, yeah. So I, I got this suit and I wore it, and then I didn't think anything of it. I signed some papers and. All of a sudden, since for the last, I'm 27 now, for the last five years, I've had screenshots of my image in blogs, on billboards, everywhere. And people say, hey, I didn't know. And I've had myself on a Tinder and Facebook profile. I'm like, I didn't realize that this is what I was signing up for. So I, I have sort of that that um, introduction with, with, the, with the stock images. But you, you, you realize the power of the internet and then you got the idea of, of video blogs when I would love to dive into that. Because was that during college? Or was that right after? Yeah, so it was. Uh, it was actually right before college. So when I was in high school, um, you briefly mentioned this interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, yeah. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, and I started a little um, web show, a little video show that would go out and interview very successful people in different careers and get their advice for teens who were about to go to college, and and through this show. Um, and through a lot of hustle and, and begging and pleading, we ended up getting some really awesome interviews with people um, like Steve Forbes and David Neeleman, who started JetBlue, uh, Tusa Rubenstein, who started Seventeen Magazine, and a bunch of politicians and you know and so forth. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so he he said, "Yeah, fine, you know, come on out, let's do an interview." So we flew our little skeleton crew to Los Angeles, um, interviewed him, two person shoot, and I'm asking him questions about you know his story and, and his advice for teens. And it was a really good interview and he gave really, really good advice. But then when I came back uh, to Virginia to edit this thing together into a you know watchable video for young people, uh, I realized it was pretty boring to watch. And not because the advice was bad, but because it didn't have much production value. Mm. It was just two, it was two people talking back and forth. It, it didn't have fast cuts. It didn't have aerial shots from helicopters and explosions and music and transitions and effects. And this is all the type of stuff that 
I realized Discovery Channel was using to make their educational topics pretty interesting. And so as I learned, hey, I need to add in effects and, you know, and B-roll and stock video, I, I said, well, how do I get it? And I didn't have any budget. I had no money for this. So I really wanted a shot of the Hollywood sign from a helicopter. And I realized it would cost thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars to procure that shot and put it in my show. And that really, um, that really bummed me out because there's no way I could afford that. So that was kind of a pivotal moment where I realized, man, like I might be a little bit early and do this whole like independent video making thing, but I think there's going to be a lot more people like me. And then this is 2003, by the way. So YouTube hadn't come out yet, but I, but I thought, Hey, like computers getting faster, internet's getting faster, video equipment's getting cheaper. There's going to be more people making content and they're going to need stock video. So I didn't really overthink it. You know, I, I think part of that was just being young and naive, but, uh, but in hindsight, this was good. I didn't overthink it. I just went out, bought a camera, bought a tripod, uh, and then took this year off between high school and college to travel around the United States, shoot video as stock, uh, that I thought editors might like. And I started experimenting with selling it on eBay uh, and it started working. And then I built a website and it started selling uh, and then I went to college, uh, Babson College, to learn about business, and um, and really started, you know, building, you know, learning the fundamentals and building the business while I was at school. Hmm. And now Babson, for those listening, I think that's the number one school for entrepreneurship, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So you got that. One of my friends, she's getting an MBA from Babson, and she says her project is based entirely on her business idea. So I think it's kind of cool. But you, you went to Babson. Um, um, you graduated and then six figure offer came to your place. And you, you said, you said the most obvious thing you should say, right? That's what you said. I think you did. You, you said, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah <of> course. <laughs> that would have been the most logical thing to say, because not, not only was it a great offer for a lot of money, but it was at a time when the economy was about to, it was falling apart, right? This was, I was graduating in 2008. Oh, it's the worst and time. So this, the worst time. <laughs> yeah. So the financial markets had fallen apart. Banks like Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns were literally going bankrupt. And somehow I had this magical offer guaranteeing me like $120,000, which is a ton of money. And uh, it was hard. I always say it was like staring down the barrel of a gun and, and saying, look, I love, it looks great. But it's not really what I want to do. Like really what I wanted to do was do my own thing and build my own business. And I had this fear that if I listened to what most people said, which was, hey, take the job, do it for a couple of years, bankroll some cash, and then you can start your business with a safety net. Um, my fear was that I'd be kicking a can down the road and I'd be less and less likely to actually start the business. Uh, and, and I've seen that happen to people. I've seen friends who really wanted to be entrepreneurs and got trapped in the rat race of employment. Nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. But I knew that that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be an employee. I wanted to kind of create my own destiny. Ladies and gentlemen, for those listening, what, what um, Joel's describing is called the supposed to syndrome. That's what, at least that's what I like to term it as. It's the idea that society, you're supposed to do something because society tells you you're supposed to do that. You know, you, you graduate from college, you have a six-figure job, that's supposed to give you this cushion. But, uh, you know, I think what Joel recognizes is the fact that he had something inside that he wanted to at least execute, and he wouldn't have felt comfortable with himself as a person if he didn't at least uh, try that. And, and many of you might be in that situation. I've been in that situation. I was, I was fired. <laughs> I've been fired twice and quit a job. I've been fired 
when I was 25 and I was 27. Um, and my parents have had a lot of nerves uh, with some of the decisions I've made to, to launch companies without actually having the, that bankroll to, to fund me, like you said. But I don't think I could have actually felt comfortable myself, Joel. I don't know if you feel this way. If, if I didn't at least try at that moment and was strike while I thought the iron, the iron was hot. Well, totally. And here's the funny thing about safety nets. When you have a safety net, you're not afraid of failing. And so you don't really try as hard. Yeah. And I think there's this like funny thing about human nature. Like if tomorrow I was out in the woods and I couldn't, and I had no food and no water, I'd find a way to survive, right? Like I'd try really hard, a lot harder than if I had a gallon of water and a granola bar in my pocket. Exactly. And I think that's the same thing with entrepreneurship. Like sometimes you got to take the leap and, um, and that's what you did and that's what I did. And, and I attribute a lot of the ultimate success to the fact that I had no alternative. Like I had to be successful. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And then you, you decide to turn down a job. You move into your parents' basement. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Turned down the job. Yeah, I said, great, great news, parents. Uh, I'm coming home and I'm going to eat all your food. <laughs> they said, to their credit, they were very cool about it. They said, look, we're glad you're following your dreams. We're happy to support you. And that's awesome, right? And I think that is um, not everyone has that kind of fortune, but I do think a lot of college kids have a family that is there to support them. And, and that's what I always say, like, Really, my worst case scenario, even though I didn't have a lot of money saved up and I had no huge safety net, the reality was I wasn't going to be living on the streets if this didn't work out. So the risk of failure was not nearly as bad as the potential of success. And, and so I looked at it that way. Okay. No, no, I mean, I love that you're sharing these stories. And I think um, this is, everybody always says, I mean, I'm sure people look at you now and they say, 30 under 30, my goodness, over $30 million of revenue. Arnold Schwarzenegger, you've interviewed all these people. You, you, you filmed for Will Ferrell, which we'll talk about later. And <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, they're thinking, I well, some people will be thinking, I wish I could be there. I wish I'd be like what Joel Holland is right now. But not enough people might be willing to do the work that you did to get there, you know, which is turn down that comfortable job, which is go live in your parents' basement after graduating from college, and which is, you know, humble yourself to that level because you have a strong vision for your goal. And that's, you know, that's something that we all have to come to terms with because it's okay to say that that person looks like an overnight success story, but we have to really examine what that overnight success story actually takes. Um, I think at least. Uh, totally. I, I, and, and I'll be the first to say, I think in today's society, there are far too many dreamers and not enough doers. Oh, yeah. And you know what I mean? Like it's, it's really easy to have ideas and to, you know, think about these things that could be wildly successful, but the harder part, you know, much harder than the idea is the execution, mm. right? And it's funny, like somebody out there is a multimillionaire selling porta potties, right? <laughs> There's nothing extremely innovative about that. It's been around, like, toilets have been around forever, but someone actually worked hard enough to build a business around it. So you don't need, more important than the idea is the execution. And to your point, like, that's, that's just hard work and yeah. it's not always going to be fun. Yeah, it's not necessarily the smartest person to succeed. It's the person that's willing to take the action and take those risks. Uh, and that's you know, you know, you have all those people that you <laughs> see on TV and are like, oh, how did he get? He was voted least likely <laughs> to succeed in college, but that kid was hustling all over. So I mean, I'm dude, dude, to be honest, I think I think that I think that if you're too smart, you're less likely to succeed because the smartest people analyze, you know, the risks of starting a business and say, forget it. 
like I can get a good job and make money and be comfortable. Right. Um, sometimes it's the dummies like me who, who just don't, don't even, they don't know any better. Yeah. And they just do it. Yeah. Oh, and, and there's some lucky smart, there's some, I wouldn't say lucky. I don't believe, I actually don't believe in the idea of luck, but there are people that are smart like um, Elon Musk and I guess Steve Jobs who are, who have that rare combination where they um, just like, I'm still a risk taker. I know I'm very, very smart and I'm ready. I don't need to go to class. I'm ready to get in this ace. And they do that. Some of them end up dropping out and then they start their own company. But um, I think there is something to that idea of when you've sort of been validated all through your life, you sort of don't feel like, you know, you need to work as hard. Um, and, I, and that's why I always encourage everyone to sort of do things that make them feel uncomfortable so they never get to that complacent level. Because smart people can make it. The, uh, people that are considered not as smart in, in school system can make it. But ultimately, you decide where your path is um, if you have that drive and ambition. Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, and so you, know, you give the example Elon Musk. He's definitely a smart guy. Yeah. I mean, he literally taught himself rocket science. He did. But then on the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum, you got Richard Branson, who has built this incredible multi-billion-dollar empire, and he's dyslexic, and he did terrible in school, and he himself will say, "I'm not that smart." But he's extremely driven and charismatic and passionate, yeah. and I think that can very easily overcompensate for any lack of intelligence. No, I, I love this. I love this. So w w this is good that we're talking about this because then, when talk about when you started gaining traction, because you were in your parents' basement and all of a sudden, poof, top twenty-five, hundred twenty-five, thirty under thirty, young entrepreneur of the year. You're making all this revenue. You probably have to start building a team. What, what was that moment like? Uh, you know, just. How did it happen, and when did you realize you were actually successful? Yeah, it's great. Great question. So by the end of college, um, my business was very much uh, me hustling. Like I was just hustling to sell. I was a grind constantly like trying to sell more and more product. And at the time, this was before it was called Video Blocks. It was called Footage Firm, and I was selling stock video by the collection on tape stock and actually shipping it out. And it was a hustle and a grind, and it was that, that was cool. Um, but I realized what I really wanted to build was a business that was more than me, just you know, chief salesman. Um, I needed to have a, you know, a business that could grow, you know, on its own and with a great support staff. Um, and the beauty of the internet is that you can create digital products that don't require shipment, right? And 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 at the same time, provide a ton of data around, you know, how many people are coming to your website. What percentage of them are buying? What percentage percentage of them are buying again? And then ultimately, what's the value of the average customer? And so, I started uh, when I launched Video Blocks. We, we launched as a subscription based product. Took some cues from Netflix and uh, started doing some advertising and, and promotion to existing footage firm customers. And luckily, that you know, we'd created a product that people did want. And so we started picking up customers and subscribers and watching as they would renew each month and seeing how long they'd renew. And within the first year, we, I had a pretty good you know, handle on how much a subscriber was worth, at least in the first year. And of course, it would get bigger as, as time would go on. But I looked at that number and I said, wow, like, you know, this customer is worth X in a year. Therefore, I can pay anything less than that and I'm making money on the margin. And, and that's where the scaling came in. So as soon as I was pretty confident around, you know, what a customer was worth, I immediately went out and started ramping up digital marketing, Google AdWords, email marketing. Today, it's a ton of social marketing, YouTube, you know, influencer marketing. But, but by knowing what a customer's worth, we were able to 
you know, basically I was able to go from zero to a million dollars in revenue very quickly because I was confident in the return. Um, and then a million to two million, two to four, you know, four to eight, all the way up. And, and so I think that's the beauty of the internet and whether it's a digital product or not, just basically having data on your customers, figuring out what they're worth and then scaling up your marketing as long as you're making money. That's incredible. And, and so you identified your, your target customer early on, I'm, I'm assuming you knew who you were going to go after. Well, yeah, because, and, and fortunately, um, you know, we knew it was video editors and there was a good, um, community that you could reach these these types of individuals through there were magazines like mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine with the weather warming up it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a pilates class or outdoor guided walk peloton has everything you need to help you get going get a head start on summer with peloton at onepeloton.com Creative Cloud, I'm uh, sorry, Creative Cow and Video Maker Magazine and Digital Video Magazine. There are basically websites and magazines that reached our, t- our target customer. So that's where we started. That was where we started our advertising to the most targeted market. And of course, it did really well because it was so targeted. Um, and then we started trying to expand and broaden beyond the obvious digital video editors um, to more of just creative you know, professionals in general. But, but yeah, I think that's the you know, with any business, you, you know what your hyper-targeted market is, and then you just go find out where do those people hang out, what do they read, what websites do they use, uh, and get in front of them. Yeah, well, yeah, it, I think it's so interesting when you said you, you, you did the research and you started putting the work and you talked about the marketing that you put into place. But the most interesting thing that you said to me was the scaling. You found what could scale. And I, I watch a lot of Shark Tank and I listen to a lot of, you know, the profit and things like that, Cleveland hustles, all these uh, shows on CNBC, uh, just because I'm a self-proclaimed nerd. But <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that, I, that I've noticed when investors are looking for, for companies to invest in or, or companies that they feel are viable, it, it, they're always talking about scale. Now, you talked about you wanting to make sure that you turn video block into a business. I think it's really important because many people have ideas, but... Some are still in the hobby stage. How did you get um, your mindset to change from hobbyist to businessman and then scale, uh, scale if that's a word. I think that's a key <laughs> yeah. thing because I don't think a lot of I, – I've failed at that multiple times. So I just, I'm curious to hear that. Yeah, well, I think step one is making the conscious decision – as to whether or not you want to be a, a small business owner or if you want to create a company and either path is fine, right? Like you, when you go to your local deli and you, and you go to, you know, you go on um, Etsy and you see people knitting cool scarves, like they're having a good time and they're making money. It's a lifestyle business and that's okay if that's what they want. Um, but there's a very big difference between that and building a company. And so when I first started out with video blocks, it was very much a 
small business and a lifestyle business. And I kind of reached this point in my parents' basement in that first year where I was making good money, right? I was making a lot of money. And, and I was like, you know what? This is cool. Like I can keep doing this uh, with no employees, just me, be very profitable um, and, and, you know, probably do it for a long time. But is that what I want? And so I think step one, figuring out what you want. So what I decided was, no, I want to build a real company that has a big impact on the creative society. And in order to do that, I need to kind of broaden what I'm trying to do. And that's where scaling came in. And so the second, you know, step one, make sure you know what you're trying to do. Step two is if you're trying to build a company, make sure that your current product offering actually has a scalable market. Because, you know, if I was making decorative spoons, maybe it's not that huge of a market. But with stock video, I looked at this and I said, hey, this is a multi-billion dollar market. So there is room to actually scale into. Um, and so then step three was, all right, well then let's do it. (laughs) And, uh, and then it was a matter of doing a lot of testing, uh, testing, um, Google AdWords, finding just the right landing page combination with keywords that worked and was profitable. Um, and at first it's not going to be profitable, but making sure you can whittle it down and eventually get profitable. Um, and so once I found those channels that worked well, it's being confident and saying, Hey, trust the data, right? Like trust your data and then put some money behind it. And then, then that was scaling. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, it comes down to execution. Once you've done the research, you got to at least try it. And if you fall down seven times, you know, you just get up eight times. You built a team, I imagine. It wasn't just you anymore. Um, you have, you still have a team? Or you? Yeah, yeah. So we're, um, yeah, we've got, a, we've got about 93 employees now. 93? Uh, Joe? Yeah, in the, <laughs> in the D.C. area. We'll be at um, over 100 by the end of the year. Moving into a, a beautiful new office space at some point, um, you know, soon. So yeah, I think we've got a great team. We've got a great team, and 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 I'm not being modest when I say, by the way, that's the reason we're so successful. Like I'll take credit for hiring some good people to help build a team, but but I really can't take much credit for the success of the company. No, 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 no. That, that, that's great because I want you to talk about that team building process. Um, yeah, I, I've had. And the reason why I'm asking a lot of these questions are from personal experience, whether it was the lack of scalable idea, moving from hobbies to, to all that. These are lessons I had to learn. But building a team, I pro- I think I found was the hardest thing for me just because I'm sort of that hands-on type of, of, of guy that, that wants you know everybody to succeed. And sometimes initially I was too trusted. <laughs> and then I learned like, okay, maybe I have to handle everyone. And then I was like, no, but that's not my style. And then it ended up not being – the right uh, right fit until I just sort of let go and and allow people to to compliment me um, and you know the right way and let nature take its course. So I'm curious to hear what your story was like when you found someone to come share your vision who just had the same amount of passion you did. Yeah, I mean it was tough because at first, I mean I I was so used to being a sole proprietor mm. and using freelancers um, all through college to do all the design work and development work and even shooting a lot of the product um, that when it came time to actually start hiring people, I was, I was kind of petrified because, you know, I was like, this is going to be weird. I'm going to have actual real person in the office. Mm-hmm. They're going to be relying, you know, relying on me to feed themselves and their family. And I don't want to overpay them. And like, so there was a couple of things that made it difficult. One, I was cheap because I'm like, Hey, if I, hire a customer service representative, I'm paying someone dollars that I could just keep if I did that myself. And at first I tried to do everything myself for too long. 
Um, and that was a huge mistake. And, and so I think, you know, one, I was cheap. And then two, I was just afraid of letting go of responsibility and having people rely on me. So the first hire, the first couple hires were kind of tough, but, but as soon as I did it, it's like ripping off a bandaid. Like once I hired someone to come in and handle customer service, she was amazing, did a much better job than I ever did and made customers a lot happier. And all of a sudden I'm like, Whoa, like I have all this extra time in my day because I'm not answering phones and responding to emails. I can put all that time into growing the business. And so it's kind of like, I always make the analogy, like one day I did not have a cell phone and then the next day I did. And almost immediately I I couldn't remember life without a cell phone. It's like, it was hard to imagine. And I think that's how, that's how it is. And you hire good employees. You immediately are like, I can't believe we ever existed without you. (laughs) And so, um, started with customer service, then hired an incredible marketing guy, uh, hired an amazing developer and just kind of kept going and, and realized that with each, you know, amazing hire, I got to focus more on what I was good at and what I enjoyed doing. They got to do what they were good at and the company benefited. Yeah. And, and to your point about passion, like I think that there's no like hard set rules on, on hiring people, but I would say, um, you definitely want to hire top of market. Like if you want the best people to work for you, which you should, then you got to pay top of market and that's okay. Cause the return on investment will be there. And you need to find people who are very passionate about what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So being smart and hardworking is not enough. They have to be smart, hardworking and actually really into what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I think that, 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 that combination is what works. Yeah. I know for me, that was the hardest part and, and I had to learn. And I think, I think that you don't learn if you don't try and, you know, finding the right fit for me was, was really, it took a lot off my plate. Like you said, I, I just I was like, how did this company actually succeed without this? And my biggest weakness was the finance and the operations just cause I was, you know, I was more of the, you know, the storyteller, the, the guy that I would, I would do the consultant and all that. But then, when it came down to the actual granular details of the of the business, I I would have been the guy that bombed on uh, in front of Mark Cuban on TV, and he asked me what my numbers were, and I'd be like, uh, "We we did well, I know that, but <laughs> I can't tell you the percentage scale." So I, I had to teach myself that, but I also had to find someone that that was just as passionate, but also was willing to put in the hard work, and that felt natural to her. So yeah, do you, you, what do you, yeah, what you're basically saying is spot on, which is be pretty self-aware of what your strengths and weaknesses are as an entrepreneur and hire people to compliment you. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, your role has begun to shift from, you know, after being the CEO imagine you start doing more things. How has it changed, you know, since you started and you've grown? Yeah. So, you know, when I started, um, I was the business, I was doing everything and, Realize that that was not scalable. Like you cannot, as one person, build a real company. And so I started hiring, you know, more and more great people, but remained very much in the weeds myself. And then realized when we got to a certain point that, you know, in order to keep growing a real business, I, I had to stop f- focusing so much on today and thinking a lot more about, you know, tomorrow and the next couple of years. And uh, so, you know, my evolution as a CEO is going from being way too hands-on, although probably the time that was right, I was very hands-on day-to-day, to being much more uh, of a support mechanism for the great people that we hired. And then a year ago, um, I made another big transition, which was to promote uh, our chief marketing officer, TJ Leonard, 
to CEO, um, and I became executive chairman. And in the last year, things have gone better than ever because TJ is an incredible leader, incredibly smart, passionate about what we're building, and the team loves him. And I now have no day, you know, no day-to-day responsibilities at all. So the only thing I can fill my time with is strategy, business development, and some of the bigger picture items that will probably be pretty important um, as we continue to grow. That's that's so big. That's first of all, that's not a lot of CEOs do that. You know, relinquish that CEO position and give it to uh, to someone else and become the executive chairman. I don't know. I think you talked about a difference there. Being you do more strategy now, and he does the day to day. Um, in terms of the difference between your roles, uh, but but that doesn't mean less work for you. It just means you're getting more business, right? Yeah, just a different type of work. Yeah. Um, I, I basically I was burning out on being an operator, yeah. and I don't think that I was a very I wasn't a great operator to begin with. Yeah. Uh, whereas TJ is, is a great operator and motivator of people, and and um, he and he was excited and willing to step up to that role, uh, and so yeah, my my job just changed. And so um, it's it's just now much more about yes you know find those business development partnerships that make sense for the company uh, the eventual partners that you know will work with us down the line and and the, and the products that we're going to keep building so you know every year we're building and launching radically new products to stay ahead of everyone else in our industry um, and that's that's fun stuff so I really enjoy focusing on that. Self awareness, my friend. Self awareness, and that's and that's that's incredible that you did that. I love that. We have two more questions here before we wrap up. But um, the first one, the second one is going to be about the innovation because I'm curious to hear about the new products. But the the question before that is about that burnout that you mentioned. A lot of times, when people go from solopreneur to to rapid success like you did, and to building a team quickly, there comes a time when you just burn out. You know, whether it's because you're, you know you've become bigger than you initially thought and you're doing a lot of things that you might not have been passionate about or you just start to really feel tired. So what tricks do you have for um, coming out of burnout? Yeah, man. Well, I think the first, the first trick would be preventative, like try not to burn out. Um, And I think the easiest way to do that is don't be a hero. And, and back in the day, when I was just starting up, I, I, I was trying to be a hero. I, I kind of was like, hey, you know what? I can grind. I can work you know, 12 to 14 hours a day, get a little bit of sleep, get up and do it again. And, and, I, and, and I was like all pumped up about that. And so I did not give myself um, much rest or relaxation. I didn't socialize enough. I was just heads down building the business, which is important. And there's a, and there's a balance, right? Like you got to strike that balance between being a lazy sack of bones and killing yourself. And so I, I had the balance wrong. I, I, I worked too much. And eventually, if you do that, one day you wake up and go, what, why, why am I doing this? Like, what's it all for? Life's kind of short. Is this what I, you know, what I want to die doing is just working all the time? Or do I want to have friendships and relationships and fun? So, you know, don't be a hero. Um, if you're already kind of a little too far down that path, like I was, I think that the way you get out of burnout is by giving yourself a break. And, and one of the ways that I did it was to buy an RV and start hitting the road and traveling and it, just getting out of the office and getting into nature, um, or into like desolate parts of the country. Um, I felt like I could breathe and feel the like constant chaos of hundreds of phone calls and emails and, you know, people tapping me. 
because uh, I was in the middle of nowhere. And, and that, so that was great. And that, that's when I started to kind of, it was like a pressure valve releasing uh, and that worked well for me. So yeah, I think, you know, if you're already down that path of burnout, give yourself a break and don't feel bad about it because no one around you, your employees, your colleagues, you know, family, friends, they don't benefit from you being stressed out and overworked. They want you to be happy because that makes them happy. And yeah, so don't feel bad about taking a break for yourself. No, I, I love that. I love the RV story. Yeah, I was reading something about, you know, when I was doing research on you, you had said you bought an RV when you really needed to reconnect with your creative soul. You know, you got into the RV, took off the license plate, literally says video RV. And then yeah. you went with your girlfriend, two cats, a ferret. My goodness, two cats and a ferret. And then yeah. you went along creating content and sometimes picking people, uh, picking people up along the way. Uh, and you believe that everyone um, should own an RV. And I think it's it's the thing that I've, I've, I've listened to throughout your interview as we're getting ready to wrap up here is your incredible um, level of self-awareness. Uh, many people might not like Gary Vee and many people might like Gary Vee. But the point that he, he hones in on a lot is the fact that self-awareness is important as an entrepreneur. You were self-aware enough to realize that you would not be happy if you took that six-figure job. Self enough to, self-aware enough to realize you needed to grow the business and then turn down the, uh, the CEO position and hand it over and then get into an RV because you knew what sparked your creativity. Um, and that, that's, I think that's so important. And if there's anything I want anyone to, to heed from this interview is that it's very important to be, to be like that. So um, that's incredible. Well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if I can do it, anybody can do it and, and nothing special there. So I hope, uh, yeah, I hope, I hope this has been a helpful interview and, for anybody listening that wants to connect, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. You can just go to joelkentholland.com and it'll forward you to my LinkedIn profile and just say you, uh, you know, you heard me chatting with Ty and we'll, uh, <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. And, uh, the, it, we'll put that in the show notes. Make sure it's, it's your website. It's, it's, you said it's joelholland.com. Uh, it's just uh, joelkentholland.com. Joelkentholland.com. All right. It's nice. If, 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 um, people want to intern or do something with video blocks or just get on, I don't know, get some stock footage, they go to videoblocks.com, right? Yeah. Videoblocks.com. Um, and if you want to supply, if you want to upload video clips and make money, go to, um, contribute.videoblocks.com. And yeah, if you're looking for a job, we, we have a lot of positions open. Uh, and there you go to, we are videoblocks.com. Gotcha. Gotcha. Last question I always ask my my eye my guests is the mission statement of the podcast, which is use your difference to make a difference. So, how do you, Joel, use your difference to make a difference? Well, I I think that you know we live in a world where people there's a lot you know there's a lot of stress there's a lot of anxiety there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of resentment and I think people are always looking for an outlet um, to escape. And be happier. And I think that creative self-expression is one of the best ways to do it, right? Whether it's an art project, a video, a song, a blog, you know, or a tweet, like expressing yourself feels good. So that that's, you know, the, the, the social impact that I hope Videoblocks is having is enabling our customers to express themselves better and be happier. Yeah, no. And I think there's a certain power. Uh, is storytelling. Storytelling allows people to to locate themselves into that narrative and also inspires them. At least certainly it was for me uh, growing up. And it's you know you giving people a platform to to tell the stories in an exciting and entertaining way is is definitely definitely um, 
a good vehicle for people to feel better about themselves and to sort of disrupt this idea of, of negativity and they see negativity that they live in. You, you're right there in the Capitol. So you got to, you know, be neighbors with some of the, uh, the Senate and the house of reps as they, they, they go, go back and forth. But, um, I, I want to thank you. I can't thank you enough for being as candid as you are with your story. I, I think everyone's story is unique. Um, everyone is born into certain circumstances, but at the end of the day, execution is key. Um, awareness of your abilities and awareness of where you want to go is also uh, necessary. And, and you know, more importantly, you know, never being complacent and being brave enough to actually challenge yourself is, is one of the best ways that you can actually succeed. So congrats on all your success and thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. I appreciate you having me. All right. You're welcome. Till next week, ladies and gentlemen, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.